Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Absolutely honored to get to come back and share God's word again. I was honored to get invited the first time a couple months ago. And when you get invited to come back, it means, okay, I didn't blow it too much the first time. So my name is Shad Purcell. Been part of San Antonio life since 85. My family moved here. And Brother Don Guthrie in this church, Pastor Chris Johnson, Pastor Danny, uh, Brother Ethan Dupree, all these guys just bless me abundantly. So whenever I get a chance to get to come hang out at First Baptist Church downtown, I said, I'm there, especially like today when it's Rock and Roll Marathon weekend. So I brought my bike here early and I've been cycling around and cheering on friends. So I've been yelling all morning. Like, I got to save a voice. I got I got verses. I got to share. I'll make sure I have a voice left to share. And so I might still be in some of like cheer mode. So you know, he's just enthusiastic. You seen Buddy the Elf? He's, he's like, we're related. Like me and Buddy, we got something in common. Um, so I'm excited. I might talk fast. You got to listen fast. But as we begin a brand new series in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to start with a, with a true story that will kind of springboard to find out where we're at and where we need to go. True story. 1997, there was an, there was an Air Force pilot practicing aerial maneuvers, combat maneuvers at night. And when this combat pilot pulled the controls for full speed ahead, what would be like a, 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 a strong ascent, a big climb. Pulling those controls, thinking they know they were going in the right direction, actually ran into the ground. Because his pilot, flying at night, thought they were going the right direction, but they were actually flying upside down. So when being upside down, they turned the controls to go full speed up, they actually went full speed down and crashed into the ground and died. Now, think about us. Maybe we're not all crashing and burning, but if we look around the world, it seems a lot of people are going full speed, and they're going full speed in the wrong direction. If only we had something to be able to show us, where do I stand? Am I right side up or upside down? Thankfully, Jesus gives us an incredible, beautiful sermon on the mount, greatest sermon ever preached, and we get to spend the next 13 weeks studying. And the Sermon on the Mount will give us our bearings. We will see if we are right side up or upside down, if we are following Christ or if we're far from God. The Sermon on the Mount is incredible at showing us where we are. Like I said, as the Rock and Roll Marathon happened today, uh, I took my bike and I was, I was going down the roads. There are beautiful roads when they're all closed off and you're on a bike. And I was just flying down there, going to find my friends. And then I saw a mass of runners coming right towards me. And I realized I am going the wrong direction towards the race. I need to get out of the way. But the markers and the, and the police officers and everyone directing the traffic, making it abundantly clear, here's the path, follow the path, stay on the path. If you get off the path, you might end up in Laredo. I don't know, you can't find that finish line if you get off of the path. So the Sermon on the Mount gives us an incredible path to follow. We start with Jesus' words in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, 
Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down and he gathered his disciples around him and he began to teach. So here's the background. As Jesus is beginning to teach, the crowds have seen Jesus heal the sick, uh, touch the lepers. He's surrounded by the, the, the religious ridiculous rulers who want to imprison him. There's a big crowd. Some people just want to see more of him. Some of them want, want to see Jesus gone away with because he's messing their system up. But Jesus is drawing a crowd, and the crowds have come around him. And he began to teach them, them as his disciples. Many of the people at that time were, were waiting, hoping, looking, searching for the Messiah. And so they're asking the important questions. Could this be? Could this be the Messiah? And so that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5. And look at 6 and 7 over these next few months. And I was just fascinated just reading the, head, like the headings. The headings in your Bible might say this about each of, the, each of the sections of the Sermon on the Mount. Just pay attention and see if this might be something you want to make sure you're a part of. You don't want to miss any of these weeks. Where Jesus next week, he'll teach about salt and light. This teaching about the law. Teaching about anger. Adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, love for enemies, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting, teaching about money and possessions. Jesus is going to stop and teach us what it's like to not judge others. You're going to pay attention on that week, and you're going to invite some certain friends. Go, you need to be at church this Sunday. You're judging them, so you need to be here too. Do not judge others. That Jesus will teach about effective prayer, the golden rule, the narrow gate, the tree and its fruit, the true disciples, and building on a strong foundation. These are all of the things that we'll see Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount. Now here's the purpose. The purpose of this, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to describe the kingdom of God and challenge us to live as followers of Jesus Christ motivated by the heart rather than just the law. This sounds just where you've, like you've been for months, right? So you just finished what book? Galatians, glad you remembered. It's just last week you finished it up. For, for months you've been in the book of Galatians and Galatians has been on this theme of repeat of it's not the law, it's not the law, it's, it's follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Don't be so stuck in the rules and the regulations. Don't just be, be adhering only to the lists, but listen to your heart. What's Jesus stirring in your heart? Jesus makes our heart new. So the Sermon on the Mount could start to sound like a list, but it's motivated to follow Jesus by our heart, not just the list. So the Sermon on the Mount pairs really well with the book of Galatians. I think your pastor's playing this perfectly. This is going to springboard you into great understanding. So good job. Now, thinking about the law and the heart. Here's the analogy. I drive the speed limit most of the time. I drive the speed limit because the speed limit's posted. I know it's, it's legally been decided. This is the speed limit. This is how safe driving happens on this road. That's legal. But do you know the day I was the safest driver I've ever been in my whole life? Maybe you were too. If you remember the day, if God has blessed you with children, and you drove your child home from the hospital, the dads are nodding. You check that, that baby's seat five times. Make sure everything's secure. And then precious cargo got in the car. And, and your, your wife, who's just delivered a baby, and like you're driving home so careful. Head on a swivel, looking at everything. Full stop, speed limit. Because that's your heart. Your heart is there for the precious cargo in your car. Same thing with the Sermon on the Mount here. Don't think of it just as, well, Jesus is going to say some do's and do nots. Here's the checklist. Got to keep it. It's the law. Or does your heart beat for Jesus? Going, I just want to be with Jesus and be where he is. 
Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard is a, a pastor and author, theologian, wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. He said, and in this book, The Divine Conspiracy, it speaks a lot about the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, he says, my hope, my hope is to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus, especially among those who believe they already understand him. In his case, quite frankly, presumed familiarity has led to unfamiliarity, and unfamiliarity has led to contempt, and contempt has led to profound ignorance. And so we don't want to find ourselves there in the place of profound ignorance, so we want to proclaim the word that Christ has given to us. So I ask you to stand with me now, stand, and we, we proclaim this together. When Christ gives us a list of beatitudes, I'll speak and then you respond. Jesus wrote this almost like as a, as a call and response. So this is for us today. From Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need. And God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. We pray with me together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us your words. Pray that you stir your words into our lives and our souls, into our actions. So these are not just words we hear, but we do these things. We do what you've called us. We live in the way that you've led. We listen to your teaching and we apply your teaching and we show the world that we have been taught by one who loves us dearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The church said amen. Amen, amen. Have a seat. And so where we're going in this today, in the Sermon on the Mount, three things I think are super crucial for me and maybe you too. One, as we consider the Sermon on the Mount, we have to consider the source. We must consider the source. Who was the one who was teaching us? Are they credible? Do they know what they're talking about? Two, we've got to consider the audience. Who is Jesus speaking to? And three, consider the timeline. So starting with, say, consider the source. Considering the source, I want us to know that God is love. He's not just like one of his qualities is love, or sometimes he's loving. No, he just is love. And from that position, he's teaching us, going, I love you. I need you to know these things. And I teach you from love. So Jesus, he drew the crowds, and he's been silencing the experts of the law. He's been healing the sick. He's been touching the lepers, forgiving debtors. And if you skip to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that, and he taught them, and they were absolutely amazed because he taught as one with authority. And so from the place of authority, Jesus is going to say often, you can hear this, this phrase, he goes, well, you, you heard it said, but I say. He's going to bring a whole bunch of things to light and say, you know, you heard it said this way, but um, I say this. And when Jesus says, but I tell you, but I say, it means he's got all the authority. Jesus is like doing this beautiful remix. I don't know about you, but I love remixes. I listen to a lot of music. I'll hear a song that sounds familiar, and then you go, oh, that's not familiar. That's a remix. This is the new Christmas version of everything. Every, every year, every artist comes up with a new Christmas album. It seems like there's a, a remix to it. But when Jesus is doing his remix, 
the divine remix, he's bringing it back to as it was in the beginning, like when it was good. I created it in the beginning, it was good, but it's not so good if you're honest and you look around going, something's just off. So Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount is showing this is what it's like when it is good. I'm remixing it to it's beautiful and you are blessed. That's the words we just read and the words we'll focus on. Jesus saying you are blessed when. God blesses you when. We call them the Beatitudes maybe. We take that word from the Latin word Beatitudo from years ago. It just means be happy. So the Sermon on the Mount starts with the blessing. But don't get too comfortable there because it's going to get really challenging. But Jesus perfectly in his teaching starts with a blessing. So we're blessed. And I wonder if Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount and maybe he had someone come up with like some suggestions like, you know, on the blessings list, what if, what if we added to it a little bit? Could we could make addition to the Beatitudes? Like God blesses those who help themselves. God blesses the ambitious. I'm ambitious. God blesses the, the scorekeepers, guilt trippers, trendsetters. How about just, or maybe not addition, maybe a subtraction. Hey, God, I was good when we started. God, you know, bless the poor in spirit, but um, that persecuted thing on the end, could we just cut it off? Could we finish early? So addition, subtractions, you can't because Jesus gives it to us. It's as a whole package. It's, it's, it's package and it's progressive in the way he's teaching. It's progressive in the way it challenges us. Poor in spirit, we can identify with, and it's hard, is a lot less challenging than being persecuted for doing right. And so as we consider the source, Jesus deserves all the credentials, right? He deserves all the credentials that we would give someone who predicted his own death, died and rose again by his own power. I don't know anyone else has ever done that. I've never heard of anyone else that's ever done that because no one has been resurrected by their own power. So when Jesus predicted his own death and it came true to every prophecy of the word, I'm going to listen. I consider the source and I listen because he's never been wrong about anything. So listen to Jesus also because he practiced what he preaches. We look at the list of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who seek mercy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. All of these also describe Jesus. And so he's practicing what he preaches. So I'm considering the source first and foremost. Second, I consider the audience. Jesus is teaching the disciples here. He's gathered those who have been listening to him, following him, and he's teaching those who follow him. Paul Simon said it this way about the Beatitudes in a song he wrote in 1966. If you remember the 60s, anybody? A song called Blessed. Paul Simon says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Blessed is the lamb whose blood flows. Blessed are the sat upon, spat upon, ratted on, Oh, Lord, why have you forsaken me? I've got no place to go. Not a happy song. And maybe we find ourselves, as we consider the source, then we consider the audience, and we are the audience, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I find myself being poor in spirit. Am I blessed just because I'm poor in spirit? Or am I blessed because I know who to go to when I'm feeling low? I go to the most high. To say, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me is a very honest prayer. Maybe not accurate because the Father has not forsaken you, but you feel left all alone. But the fact that you're still calling out on the Lord. You consider your circumstances and you're not blessed just because of your circumstances, but you're blessed because of who you call on in the midst of your circumstances. You seek the Lord. 
you seek who Adam hid from. If we take this thing back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, they find themselves far from God because they sinned. And in their sin, they hid from God. Will we also hide? Or will we set our gaze on him, look for him? We find him in the Sermon on the Mount. We find him when he blesses those who are poor in spirit, for those who are seeking mercy, those who give um, all of the credit to the Father and recognize that he is with us. And so these eight indicators that you found in your following Jesus, he tells us blessed are the poor in spirit. If you find yourself in a season of mourning and you're mourning and you're crying out for the Father and he weeps with you as well. Are you humble? Are you hungry for justice? Are you merciful, pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are you persecuted for doing right? This is not just a list of attributes going, well, on a works-based mentality, if I just check, check, check all the boxes here, then I'll be good. This doesn't save you. This shows you that you have been saved and you want to resonate with the family resemblance of your heavenly Father. Poor in spirit, mourning, humble, hungry for justice, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for doing right. When we look for our, our movie heroes and superheroes, does that list describe them? A few years ago, I was watching the American Film Institute had a, a, a TV episode listing the top 100 heroes of all time in our movies. Top 100 movie heroes. And going through all of them, again, yeah, there's Indiana Jones. Han Solo was the, the, the leading one of the Star Wars franchise. Yeah, yeah, Han Solo should be way above Luke Skywalker. Um, but if you watch this, or maybe you can take a guess, who would be the number one movie hero of all time? It was from a movie adaptation of a little book we all read in middle school called To Kill a Mockingbird. And the hero was Atticus Finch. Because he resonated, like our culture even wants us to, to, to call on and, and celebrate those who seek justice, those who are hungry for justice, who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for doing right. All those lists that Jesus gives us in the Beatitudes, we want that. Our culture, even if they don't know the Bible, they crave that because they voted the number one hero of all time. It was not Superman. It was Atticus Finch, a lawyer who was seeking justice for someone who had been wrongfully accused and who was persecuted for doing right. So watch out if you're hardwired for the, the legalism aspect of this. Don't take this at that at all. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He's another author and, and pastor I appreciate. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called the Sermon, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. I found this helpful when he said, my immediate reaction to these Beatitudes proclaims exactly what I am. So I said that the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, it's a map showing us Jesus. It's also a mirror showing us where we're at. Or maybe on the map where it says, you are here. If you're nowhere near Jesus, the Beatitudes are gonna show you that because what the Beatitude stirs in you will say a lot about who you are. Like your spiritual nervous system, it will either respond to the Beatitudes like a punch or a hug. Like, if you just read these, you go, ouch, ouch, that's not me. That's not me at all. Or I don't want that even. If you distance yourself, you're Heisman on that thing. I don't want the Beatitudes. I don't want to be persecuted for doing right. The Beatitudes will say so much about you. But if the Beatitudes stir in you, like, I just want to be closer to Jesus. I want to hold on him. I want to feel his heart beat on 
me as we are so close because I'm with the Father and he's with me. I abide with him and he in me. So consider yourself. As we're considering the source and considering the audience, you consider yourself. If the Beatitudes make no sense to you at all, it could point to the fact that you don't know God or you're just not spending much time with him. We don't let the familiar bleed into contempt. Even if you say, I've been around church, I've been around Bible study, but you don't resonate with the Beatitudes, it says a lot about who we are or how you're spending your time. Like by way of example, I do not know my way around the kitchen in my house. It's a room in my house, I know it. There are certain things I know in the fridge I go straight to, I know where the chocolate's at. But if I'm putting up the dishes, I have to ask every time, honey, where, does, where do the tongs go? Or if I'm putting up the soy sauce after a meal, I'm going, uh, honey, I'm lost again. I open the pantry door, it's a foreign land to me. I don't get it. Even finding bread, the bread's right there. I can't see it. So I just have these weird blinders in the kitchen. If it was like that when I got to God's word, if it just all seemed so foreign all the time, it'd be because I'm not spending time in it. My wife, on the other hand, incredible baker. Man, from baklava to brisket, she's just got it all down. She knows the kitchen well because she spends time in it. So if the Beatitudes feel like a foreign concept, check yourself here. Am I spending time in God's word? Am I seeking after the Father? So we consider the source, we consider the audience. Then we consider the timeline here. This is important for us. Considering the timeline, Advent good to help set the seasons, to know where we're at. It is a Christmas season, we know that now. It's gonna be another year. It'll be 2024. If God gives us more years, we're walking in those years, but there'll be some time when he comes back and until then we keep asking the question, where am I in relation to the Father? Where is he leading? What are we doing? God, show me your ways because there's more to come. And if we know Christ and we, we know what he's done and we've read the end of the, the book, we've read Revelation, we know that he's coming back and he's coming back as a, a conquering war hero and all these things will be made right. But until then, we're kind of like, it just doesn't seem right. It's kind of like, uh, maybe, maybe some of you already know what you're getting for Christmas. Maybe you were sneaky and you peeked. Um, maybe you picked it out and you told him, husband, uh, this is what I want. By the, here's a link. By, and you, so you know what you're getting for Christmas? But you still got to wait like 25 days, right? You don't get that thing yet. It's hidden somewhere in a closet or it's wrapped in under the tree. There's this, there's this incredible patience that's required. And oh, patience is so difficult for some of us, right? A patience to wait until you can open the thing. It's the eternity versus the immediate gratification. So when Jesus gives us the beatitude, we have to consider the timeline here. In the here and now, this is where I, I struggle the most with Beatitudes, just me being real and honest, and, and maybe it, it sounds like you too because maybe you have a skeptical mind. You doubt, and it's okay because God, God takes our doubts. He even recruited some key doubters to be a part of his key disciples, right? There's one of them whose name was like Doubting Thomas. Thanks God for Doubting Thomas. I needed him to know that I'm not alone, and it's okay to ask these questions. So when God gives me the, the Beatitudes, gives us the Beatitudes, and I read these, and I go, yeah, but... And the here and now, in the real, real, in the real talk, it seems like it seems like the people that are far from God have it really easy. 
Like some people never pray, they never weep, they never plead with God, and yet they receive all the things that we've been asking God for. God, I asked for that. Why'd you give to them? They didn't even ask. Or some people, they're accomplished and they are adored. Doors always open for them and there's no struggle in their chest. They wake up every morning with a confounding combination of no fear of God and what looks like all of the blessings from God. So our inner skeptic asks the questions. Who, who are the blessed again? Who are the blessed ones? So real talk, maybe my biggest obstacle to believing the Beatitudes is when I see the wicked prosper, when wicked, happy people seem to get everything. And if you believe the Beatitudes are too hard to believe, you're not alone. More than a few of the saints in Scripture felt this way too. Just a few examples. We go back to Old Testament. Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 12, verse 1, said this. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? Go to Job, Job 12, verse 6. It says, but robbers are left in peace, and those who provoke God live in safety. Malachi, Malachi 3.15 says, from now on we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. And then, of course, there's David, David the warrior poet. We got all of his, his thoughts on on page in the book of Psalms. Psalm 73. David says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so, their bodies are so healthy and strong, King David writes. So if you feel like, man, it seems like the people far from God are getting all the blessings. When Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, but it seems like he's given the actual blessings to other people, we're not alone when we ask that question to the Father. There's a modern-day poet named Jackie Hill Perry. I appreciate what she wrote. She wrote a, a series of devotions, a devotional book called Upon Waking. So I've been reading that this, uh, this year, and it's good. She said, if the wicked don't have God, even though they have everything, when we look around, it seems like they have everything, they have no thing. They have nothing. So we'll go back to Jesus and his teaching about God blesses. Because we didn't finish reading our passage today. From Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, and this finishes off the Beatitudes. It says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. This is key. Because you are my followers. There's as we consider the source, who we're following, we consider who we are, we're part of the audience he's teaching, we're his followers. We get to be close to him. None of those other things matter. God blesses you when other people mock you because you're following Jesus. It says, be happy about it even. Be very glad for great reward awaits you where? In heaven. We're gonna get some trickle-down effect here on earth for sure. God has blessed us. He continues to bless us. But we see the fulfillment of all that blessings in his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And remember, it says, remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So couldn't I have something else in common with the ancient prophets? Could I have something else in common other than persecution? Maybe we should be less concerned about the persecution we feel 
Maybe we should be more concerned when we're not persecuted. David struggled with his doubts about this blessed life, and David had a beautiful realization. We go back and we finish David's thoughts in Psalm 73. Look at this. Psalm 73, verse 21. David says, and then I realized my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, but yet I still belong to you. This is the key. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. So who have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. That sounds a whole lot like blessed are the poor in spirit. But God remains the strength of my heart and he is mine forever. And so in response, I ask some questions. Getting us thinking, thinking of how we respond. Jesus has put the Beatitudes out there for us. And if we don't take an honest, introspective look on where we're at, then we kind of failed to follow faithfully. We ask, are you ruled by Christ? Is he our king and Lord? Like, do we have a family resemblance to our Father in heaven? And is it our ambition to have a family resemblance to our Father in heaven? Are we truly blessed? Are we happy? Have we been filled? Have we got peace? Could someone find God by following your footsteps as you follow after God? And I think about this, and this stirs in me as I think about the saints who have served in church life, raised me up as I was a little boy growing up in church. Who were those who have been living the Beatitudes and you saw it on display? And who in your life is looking to you? And will they see the Beatitudes in your life as you walk with the Father? And we need his help for this for certain, so let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are love. Help us to recognize that we are loved. By your son who you gave us, by his incredible teachings that he led us, and those teachings fulfilled by action as he gave his life on the cross and his power on display as he beat the grave. So we know what it is to be blessed. We're blessed with forgiveness. So teach us and help us teach others. Through Christ we pray in Jesus' name, amen.